Hello everyone, Redcoat here. And Santier joins him. And today, we'll be exploring the concept of emotional investment in games. In particular, we'll be looking at how the Narvazotl and mechanical identities work together to engender this investment, and some of the ways to make good use of it. I should give a small warning in that, since we're exploring an aspect of games that is often very narrative-driven, there will be spoilers in the various examples we use. They're mostly old games that most of you probably know the twists to already, but ye have been warned regardless. We're going to explore emotional investment primarily through the lens of loss. This is because the impact of loss on the player, and the way the player reacts to it, is heavily influenced by the emotional investment the player has in the thing that is lost. This makes loss an excellent way to study the effectiveness of various efforts to build the player's emotional investment in various game elements. With this in mind, it is important to understand that when attempting to evoke emotion in a manner that comes off as genuine and deep, such as the emotions commonly associated with loss, that emotion must be related to, or derived out of, your game's core theme. As games are composite experiences, both the mechanics and Narvazod must work together to support that theme. If either of these parts of the game are lacking, whatever emotion you are trying to present will be undermined as the dissonance of the two parts can pull the player out of the experience, or confuse them with mixed messaging. An example of this dissonance is Prince Rurik of Ascalon from Guild Wars 1. Narvazadli, he's a rather awesome dude. He defies his father by leading his people out of basically post-apocalypse Ascalon towards where they can hopefully find a better life. He really cares for his people, contrasting with his father, who seems to think of Ascalon as land. So it should seem that players would care greatly when the prince sacrifices himself to allow his people to escape through the treacherous Sugar Peak Mountains. However, the mechanics do not back up the Narvazod. Throughout the early parts of the game, Prince Rurik often accompanies the player on missions. He's sort of strong, but not that strong, and his AI often sends him careening away from the player's party and off into enemies. The players can easily lose track of him when this happens, which can result in him dying. And if he dies, the players have to restart the mission from the very beginning. Also, these missions can easily take over 30 minutes to complete. This engendered a lot of negative feelings from the players towards Prince Rurik as he built up a mechanical reputation for being a suicidal maniac that you have to babysit lest he waste your time by dying. As a result, players often celebrated, rather than mourned, his death because the emotional investment in Prince Rurik was negative instead of the intended positive. This serves to demonstrate that the emotional investment that players develop through play, that is, experientially, is much stronger than what the developers try to tell the player through text, cutscenes, and other Narvazadl storytelling techniques. Another example of the mechanics not supporting the Narvazad when it comes to engendering an emotional response to certain events and characters shows up in the game Star Fox. In Star Fox, the player is a part of a mercenary team of pilots tasked with saving a solar system from a megalomaniacal genius monkey scientist with delusions of grandeur. The team in question is presented as an almost familial unit, with plenty of banter between each other, and some of the game's story centering around different events and interactions between them. One particular point of interest here is the fact that at the end of each mission, the game shows you which pilots have survived and how close they came to being taken out of commission. So, from a Narvazadl perspective, the game does a good job of cueing the player in on the fact that they should care about their teammates. However, when actually playing the game, these teammates turn out to be more of a distracting hassle than an asset, as they continuously get themselves into dangerous situations and shout at you to bail them out. Because of this, the player doesn't quite feel a sense of camaraderie as much as a general feeling of annoyance, 
as the characters do little to make the player feel grateful for their presence in battle, often having the player respond with a, eh, he was kind of useless anyway, when a teammate goes down, or a, save yourself for once, when they get yet another enemy on their tail. In this case, the mechanical identity of the teammates doesn't match their Narvazod presentation, which undermines the emotion that they were intended to draw out of the player. These examples actually bring up a common issue in games. Escort quests often have serious problems with creating mechanical dissonance. That is, the mechanics aren't supporting the theme. This is generally due to the escorted character or thing being very annoying from a mechanical sense. As we have established, mechanics are almost always stronger than Narvazod when it comes to player perception and emotional investment for the exact same reason that lived experience is more powerful than vicarious experiences. Therefore, it is important, when creating escort quests, that the player has a reason to want to protect whatever they're escorting beyond just, the game tells me I have to. It should be noted that escort quests don't have to create this mechanical dissonance of needing to protect something that you ultimately don't want to. One of the best examples of this is God of War 4, affectionately referred to by many as Dad of Boy. In this game, you play as Kratos, who, after viciously murdering the entire Greek pantheon, settles down and has a kid. You spend most of the game traveling with this child, teaching him things about combat and life as you seek to deposit your wife's ashes on a mountain. What is interesting here is that the boy, Atreus, grows and learns as you do, as you can invest experience points not only into yourself, but also into the boy, greatly improving his combat prowess. That's right, he is functionally useful in combat. This gives the player much more reason to care about this character, as he overall serves to help with gameplay mechanically, not only being featured in combat, but also being crucial to several puzzles and teasing out lore tidbits throughout the game. It doesn't hurt that his character is well-defined and bounces off of Kratos in interesting ways, allowing the player to develop an emotional connection with him as well as a functional one. The Last of Us does a similar thing with Ellie, and really plays with the emotional aspects of loss and the threat of loss all throughout its gameplay tenure. It's important to make sure that mechanics lead players to develop the same sort of emotional response to things that their avatar is supposed to have. With this in mind, the question arises. How do we cause the player to have an emotional response that is congruent with the one that your game presents? To dig in at answering this question, we can look at a few examples of games that managed to produce their intended emotional responses when they took something away from the player. Returning to Guild Wars 1 Prophecies, while it failed to evoke the desired emotions with the death of Prince Rurik, it did do loss well with the tutorial area. This play area is very unique, both mechanically and arbizotally, and as a result, the experience of playing in this area is unlike anywhere else in the game. Therefore, when it is destroyed in an apocalyptic event called The Searing, which occurs when you complete the tutorial, the player really feels its loss. Part of the reason for this is that, to reflect this event mechanically, your character can never again visit the tutorial maps, instead only being able to visit wasteland-like post-Searing versions of those areas. As a result, players have formed powerful attachments to this tutorial zone, calling it pre-searing, or pre-searing Ascalon if one wants to be complete. Players have even taken to creating characters meant to never complete the tutorial. This phenomenon is referred to as permanent pre-searing characters, or permapre in variations for short. So many players did this that it became a big enough trend that the developers of the game, ArenaNet, recognized it and implemented special additional content, as well as support for bonus content, for these players. None of the other Guild Wars 1 campaign tutorial areas gets lost in this way, and none of them are remembered anywhere nearly as fondly. At least that's my impression, but I may be biased. 
As stated earlier, getting a proper emotional response from the player requires that the Narvazod and mechanics work together to properly support and present events, concepts, and characters that the player can get invested in, while also ensuring that that investment is colored in such a way as to engender the proper emotional response. One of the most well-known examples of this aspect in games is the loss of Aerith, or Aerith, in Final Fantasy VII. Here we have a character that, when introduced, acts as a calming element to the protagonist of the story whenever he interacts with her. This was supported by her gameplay as well, with the character being the best healer in the game, allowing her to soothe wounds both narvazodily and mechanically. This also meant that she was useful enough for the player to grant her a spot in their party and invest in outfitting her with the best gear they could find, as well as learn how to use her effectively in battle. The game cashes in on this investment later when, spoilers, Eris dies at the hands of the game's main villain. This engendered a response from most players of the game, as they had invested in the character both emotionally and functionally, after having worked with her through half of the game as a member of the party. Most were saddened and outraged by the event, thus becoming galvanized to continue forward with the journey to defeat the Big Bad. Another important reason why Eris's death mattered to players is that it was mechanically relevant. She was never replaced, neither Narvazadli nor mechanically. Contrast this with Tales of Symphonia. In that game, there's a spellsword character named Kratos who joins her party early on. This character uses a one-handed sword and can use a mixture of sword skills and low to medium level magic. Partway through the game, Kratos leaves your party, but not long afterwards, a spellsword mechanically identical to Kratos named Zelos joins it. As a result, while players may be sad from a Narvazadl sense to see Kratos leave, they do not experience mechanical loss, which weakens the sense of loss overall. It also serves to somewhat undermine both Kratos and Zelos, since, being mechanically identical, they mentally overlap with the player, which can either diffuse the effects of emotional investment through mechanical experience, or weight the investment towards the initially linked Narvazadl element. Because players were introduced to Kratos first, they will often latch onto him more for that role, that set of mechanics, than they do Zelos. I certainly feel a greater level of attachment to Kratos than I do Zelos, and while I can't definitively say that things would have been different if Zelos differed mechanically from Kratos, there is the possibility that that would be so. In general, much of the early cast in Tales of Symphonia tend to garner a bit more attachment than many characters introduced in the second act of the game as the player enters into the world of Tefeala. Along with Zelos, Regal and Prisea also appear in this act. And while some people can get attached to Prisea based on her concept and appearance, her role is mostly filled by Lloyd mechanically. Regal has it even worse, as while his character concept has some gravitas to it, it doesn't mesh as well with the rest of the party. His role is already held by either Lloyd or Prisea. The problem is compounded by the fact that his technical bar for proper use is much higher than that of any other character in the game, further alienating him from players who have just been introduced to him. This one-two punch of late presentation and high skill floor makes him a difficult character to get attached to overall. Another example of characters losing out on player investment due to late presentation shows up in Fire Emblem Path of Radiance and Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn. In Path of Radiance, we are introduced to the Grail mercenaries and march through several battles and campaigns with them. So, as the player grows in their knowledge of effective tactics in the game, the characters gain stats and abilities that make them into terrifying monsters. However, in Radiant Dawn, a story set in the same world as Path of Radiance, the player is given a new set of characters in the form of the Dawn Brigade. Now, this would normally be fine. However, one of the advertising points of the game is the fact that the Grail mercenaries will return, 
and will have comparable stats to what you left them with in the last game. Thus, the Dawn Brigade, who must start from scratch with their stats and end up, overall, much less impressive than their predecessors, register to the player not as a band of new heroes to play and grow with, but rather as a barrier to playing with the good old crew from days of yore. Stepping back a bit, we know that it takes effective use of Narvazada mechanics to create a character, concept, or idea that the player can invest in. Both the Narvazad and mechanics must be interesting enough to draw the player in, but they must not contradict each other, so as to fully support the player's investment. The player must also be given enough time to grow attached to the object of investment. Keeping in mind the amount of difficulty involved in learning how to use its related mechanics, as well as the attractiveness and innate interest of its Narvazad. If one can manage to do these things, certain investment cash-ins can become possible, such as the various effective loss moments we've mentioned, or just players finding different characters or events endearing and engrossing in ways that stick with them long after their first playthrough. It is worth noting that it is possible to build investment in a character, or other thing, through purely Narvazadal means, then cash in on that investment later in a mechanical way. When this is done, it is very important to make sure that the mechanics support the built-up investment. A good example of this idea is Artorius from Dark Souls 1. There are a lot of times when Artorius gets talked about. Alvina mentions him, his swords, shield, and the wolf's rings, item descriptions are all about him, and there's also a ring named after him, the Covenant of Artorius Ring. Then, when you encounter him, he shows himself to be crazy powerful. He gets built up as some awesome dude, and when you fight him, he proves himself to live up to the hype. Compare this to the Eternal Blades you get at the end of Tales of Symphonia. The set of swords is narvazadly super awesome. A fire sword and an ice sword, each given to you by a father figure, biological and adoptive, and imbued with the power to reshape the world. Unfortunately, if you've been up on your side quests, they're mechanically weaker than a pair of katanas you've already gotten at this point in the game by beating a powerful dancing skeleton three times. That means that using these sweet swords makes you mechanically weaker, which makes the swords super disappointing. This brings us to one big conclusion about emotional investment in games. Generally speaking, it is important that any idea, concept, or character that is presented such that the player is expected to care about them must have a grounding in the game's mechanical identity. In other words, don't just tell the player to care, give them a functional reason to. If the player has an incentive to invest themselves into a game's mechanical functionality, an emotional connection can be more effectively created. It should be noted, though, that a strong mechanical grounding must be supported by an equally strong Narvazadal identity. Granting a personality to the mechanic or idea that the player can latch onto emotionally can go a long ways towards creating genuinely affecting events within your game that will stick with your players long after they finish the experience. With that, we conclude today's cast on methods of engendering emotional investment. Join us next time as we ask Sientir a few probing questions about the subject of modding in StarCraft Brood War. Until that time, this is Redcoat, signing off. And this is Sientir, signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos. <laughs>